Let's pray. Oh dear. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Because of your love, your kindness, your grace, that we can be where we are now. In your presence. And uh, but not also in your presence, Lord, we acknowledge that, but we also acknowledge your authority in our lives. And we acknowledge also the authority of your word. We ask you, Father, as we open your word, as we read your word and talk about it, may it cause us to tremble inside, Lord, because of the truth that, it, that is contained in that. It is the only thing that will change us. So, Father, as we, as we humble ourselves before you, we open our hearts, we invite for you to, we ask you for you to pour out your spirit into our hearts and touch everything of us, our, our hearts, our spirit, our soul, mind, everything that we are, Lord, so that we can understand and comprehend the truth that is contained in this word so that we may be transformed to become more and more like Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. All right, let's uh, go to uh, the Gospel of John. I would like to read John chapter 13. We're going to start from verse 1. John 13, verse 1. It was just before Passover, the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my heads as well. You know, Simon from one extreme to the other. You know, that's very typical of Simon Peter. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 11, For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher 
and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. All right, I, uh, as uh, last week I, I was listening to Calvin's sermon, as, uh, as soon as he said, let's open to uh, John chapter 6, and I sort of accidentally, not, like something went through my head, went to uh, John chapter 13, and I thought, oh, I'd like to preach on this. And then uh, Calvin sort of mentioned a few points in John chapter 13, so I thought, oh, this is a confirmation. How many of you actually enjoyed Calvin's sermon, epic sermon last week? So I thought, yeah, maybe this is God, you know, to just built on something like that. And a Calvin sermon is about being being followers. You know, the world always tries, you know, you you know, always talk about you need to be a leader. Everybody needs to be a leader, you know, aspire for what you need to be. And uh, I like the point Calvin's making is that even Jesus is a follower of his father. Isn't that interesting? Because followers What's contained in that very concept of being followers is obedience, you see. Not only that, the other side of being, being the one who, followed, who is followed is example. <laughs> so, as a matter of fact, the, uh, talk about Jesus, the writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, when he wrote about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 8, verse chapter 5, verse 8, he said, Son, though he was, talking about Jesus, he learned obedient through what he suffered. Wow. And after being made perfect, perfect in what? Perfect in obedience. That perfect means complete or fullness. After the obedience became fullness, he then became the source of salvation to those who obey him. Can you see that? He learned obedience through his, what he suffered, and then once that, that obedience was perfect or complete, then those who obeyed him are saved. Interesting. So the question is, is it wrong to want to be a leader? <laughs> well, God called many leaders from the Old Testament to the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the problem with, with uh, the, 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 the children of Israel after they came with this highlight of the, the history of Israel under the leadership of Joshua, it says that after Joshua, there was another generation who did not know the, the, the deeds of God. They were in a, and then they went through like almost dark ages where they went from one deliverance to victory and then, and, then, and then deliverance again and then the bondage, you know, like going up and down and up and down because they abs- there was absence of leadership. They, we call it the era of the judges. 
So I believe leadership is important. However, it's the spirit that is in, that, that is the spirit that is operating in in the people, the followers, is the same spirit that is operating in the people who are being followed. And Carvin provided the, the, that balance was very, very, very delicately and very uh, amazingly. He, when he talked about Paul, Paul said, "Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ." As a matter of fact, Paul went further than that in First uh, Corinthians chapter four, when he said, "Imitate me." And because of that, he said, I sent Timothy to you, and he will talk to you. He will tell you of my lifestyle in Christ Jesus, how I live my life in my following of Jesus. It wasn't just an an instruction, but Paul, Paul actually said, listen, I sent you Timothy to testify of my lifestyle, how I follow Christ. So I believe... It's the same spirit. So uh, last week, Calvin uh, talks about being followers, and I, from this passage, I'm going to focus on, on uh, certain things, which, and my title this, this morning is The Conduct of Being the One Followed or The Conduct of Being in Authority. One in Authority or The Conduct of a Leader. <laughs> you can write any one of them. You are being followed, or you are in authority, or you are a leader. How do you conduct yourself? So let's look at the context before we get into the, uh, before we get into the, 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 the text here. This text, the passage that we just read, chapter 13, is part of the, uh, the last moments of Jesus, last intimate moment of Jesus with the disciples before the crucifixion. As a matter of fact, the, the writer, John, who wrote this thing, who, who, who is known as the, the, the beloved disciple, and it's safe to say he is the closest man, the most intimate man to Jesus while Jesus was, was on the earth. And I believe that that closeness of relationship between John and, and Jesus impacted how he wrote his Gospels because he spent five chapters of his gospel describing that last intimate moment with Jesus before Jesus went to the cross. That makes up to almost a quarter of his entire gospel talking about that intimate moment with Jesus. And uh, as I compared his gospel to the other gospels, Luke only spent half a chapter Chapter about the, the, that last moment with Jesus. Mark, less than the gospel of Mark was less than, than half a chapter. Matthew was even less than half a chapter. But John, it's almost like so intimate was he with Jesus that he wrote, you know, a quarter of his gospel describing that intimate moment. And the first four out of those five chapters. Chapter six, uh, 13 to 16 contain intense teaching of Jesus. Jesus talked about he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can go to the Father except through me. Verse 14. Verse 15, he talks about 
He is the vine and we, uh, we are the branches. In verse 16, he gave the doctrine of the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth. And then in verse 17, Jesus, John recorded the prayer of Jesus, probably one of the most intimate prayer, intense prayer for his disciples. That is the lifestyle of the one to be followed. As we read this passage, it is an interesting thing because, because in many of the teachings, in some of the teaching of Jesus, he would teach and then, and, and most of us, when we teach, we give a principle and then we give a practical application, what it really means. But in this passage, Jesus actually demonstrated the practical application and then at the end of that, he gave the principle, what it really means. So uh, let's go from, uh, from verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want you to underline, it was just before the, uh, the Passover festival, and it, when underline this, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Why is it important? Because in the Gospel of John, John would present to us again and again, beginning from chapter 2, the first miracle, to, uh, and, and uh, many, many other passages, that Jesus, in his ministry, it is obvious John was presenting Jesus as serving a divine agenda. Remember in chapter 2, when, he, when he, uh, his mother came to him and asked him, listen, they run out of wine here, you know, pretty much implying, can you do something about it? And his reply to, to Mary was just, woman, my time is not come yet. My time is not here yet. It was like, and in other, other chapters where, where uh, it says that people wanted to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't. Why? Because his time was not there yet. It was like there were a certain agenda, that, a divine agenda that Jesus was serving, and this is one of them, and Jesus realized that, now is the time. <laughs> this is the moment. And in the next two verses, we can see that this intimate moment is filled, as you read it, is filled with heightened spiritual activities. Let's read it. The evening meal was in progress, and listen to this, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of, uh, of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and then he had come to God and was returning to God. So in, in this in intimate moment, two voices were speaking. The devil was speaking to Judas. God was speaking to Jesus. On the one hand, Satan spoke to Judas to betray Jesus. On the other hand, Jesus, the Father spoke to Jesus confirming his divine identity and his divine or heavenly authority. All things under his power or all things that has been given into his hand. Interesting. It was like a moment of epiphany, one of those moments of epiphany of Jesus. You know? uh, we all know Jesus is God and man. 
as a man, I've said it many times, Jesus has to grow as a man. As, as a matter of fact, it says in, in the gospel, the beginning of the gospel, he, Jesus had to grow in wisdom and in knowledge. So even the understanding of his authority, it didn't happen automatically. Jesus is growing into it. And this is one of those moments where I think God spoke, revealed, revealed to him what kind of authority he had. God spoke in that last moment. And this is what I believe. Every moment of illumination or epiphany or revelation must have its corresponding action. So what was Jesus' corresponding action in this moment of epiphany? It says that in verse 3. Let's read verse 3 and verse 4, sorry, in verse 4. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Listen to this. I want you to circle the word so. That is the connection word, verse 4. So he got up from the meal. In other words, it was like this. There was a moment of epiphany. What would be the appropriate action with that epiphany, with that revelation? Jesus took off his, uh, left the thing, left the meal, and then wrapped a towel around his, his uh, waist. The correct response of understanding the ultimate authority and spiritual authority was washing the disciples' feet. From verse 5 to verse 11, that's what he did. So strong was the conviction of this revelation, what it means to have authority. Just think that Jesus was even the feet of the man was about to betray him. Just think about that. It was like, can you imagine? Jesus knew. I mean, Jesus knew everything, right? And as he was washing the feet of the different people, of Peter, with Peter, typical reaction, one extreme to another, and then one of them would be Judas as he walked. Imagine knowing that this man's about to betray me, but he just, you talk about being in control of the situation. That's crazy. And he came and washed Judas' feet, knowing that he was going to betray him. And after doing that, he gave the practical application and principle, or principle to what he's just done. He said, do you understand what I'm doing here? It was as if Jesus was saying this when he was washing the disciples' feet. He said, guys, he didn't say that, but I can, I can, as I read it, you know, the implication, the impact that I receive is like, I just received this revelation about the authority, heavenly authority, divine authority. And he, as if trying to say, 
Do you want to know what divine authority looks like? What ultimate authority looks like? This is what it looks like. He washed their feet. Wow. <laughs> Guys, do you want to see it? Do you want to see what authority looks like? This is what it looks like. I believe the washing of the feet is not what Jesus wants us to now start washing each other's feet. Culturally speaking, the washing of the feet is the job of a slave, is the lowest of the lowest job. As a matter of fact, it's the job not within the context of the culture, not just of a slave, but a female slave, which is lower, which was at that time was considered lower than male slave. So when you walk into someone's house, the owner of the house would never do that. Not even the, 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 the male slave. It is the job, it's the lowest of the lowest, the job of a lowest slave, which is a female slave, to wash the feet of the guests. And what did Jesus say? You call me Lord and teacher. And you're right, because that's what I am. <laughs> Not just the owner of the house, but I am Lord. You gotta understand the teacher is rabbi. Rabbi is like, whoa. I, I mean, I, I, I explained to you, for, for the Jewish rabbi, they have to first, beginning from, from when, they were, they, when they were children, beginning with memorizing the uh, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Jewish Army, five books. You know? And then they move to the next level where they memorize, can recite the whole of the Old Testament. And then, before they become, became a rabbi, they had to be able to have the ability to interpret the law. And then, they become a rabbi. It's very, very high. So Jesus said, you call me a rabbi, and I am. And Lord, yes, I am. And if I'm being a rabbi, and Lord, wash your feet. That means serve you. Goes down, stoop down to that principle to demonstrate what authority looks like. I think you guys, it's the least you can do. It means for me to be in a position of to be followed by people to be in position of leadership. There's nothing wrong with pursuing leadership, but there's a package of leadership that often we forget. It's to serve people. I'm not just talking about being leadership here. I'm talking about leadership at home. Being a husband, being a father and a mother, being a cell group leader, being a boss at work. I'm talking about the spirit of servanthood. Often, you know, we, we, we understand the idea of servanthood, you know, it's a servant leadership, but often we get, get twisted. I'm going to serve so I can be a leader. No, that is wrong. Your very, the, the very leadership is in that servanthood. When you serve people, you actually show your leadership. When you serve your family, 
So even though in the context, only in the, in the context of marriage, but I can see the principle here in Ephesians chapter 5, a sermon that I preached in, in people's weddings, Paul said, wife, submit your, your, yourself to the husband. Husband, you love your wife as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for the church. Okay? So my thing is like, the one who leads his job is to lay down his life for the one he expects to submit. That's how, how it works. You actually show your leadership by laying down your life. Whether you're a boss or a husband or any position of leadership, even as a teacher at school, serve the people around you. That is the spirit of Christianity. Does that mean we don't have authority? Yes, we do. I'll give you an example, right? How authority works in, in, in serving. How many, many of you have, have uh, traveled, whether interstate, overseas, on a plane, right? So when you see another plane, you got these stewards and stewardess, stewardesses, whatever, the staff. They would come and they serve you. They do everything for you. You ask for coffee, you have coffee with milk, coffee with milk, tea sugar, you know, like, can I have some Coke, can I have dry Coke? They give you anything for you. They put your bags up in the, in the, in the compartment, compartment above, above your head, and like everything. And there's a time where before the plane take, takes off or before the uh, plane lands, what would, they, what would they do? They will exercise their authority. They will walk around and they, they will order you, pretty much. Say, could you please put your seatbelt on? What were they doing? They were exercising their authority. Sir, uh, ma'am, could you please uh, put your seat back up a bit? What was the purpose of them exercising their authority? What was it? For the safety of the people, you see. When we exercise our authority, it's only for one reason. It's for the well-being of the people that we lead. Come on, guys. So when I say, no, Dan, you can't do that. This is what the Word of God says. I'm not trying to destroy him. I'm trying to actually, you know, do something for his goodness, for, for, for his good, for his safety. We call that discipleship. We hold people accountable. We call that authority. Often people are like, oh, sir, now it's, aren't you just about serving? Now people have this idea of just because you're being served, there's no need for authority. No, there is a need for authority. But the purpose for me to enforce the authority is for your safety. The same thing with parents. Now sometimes it's, it's not very, it's un, you know, it's, there's no pleasure in that. Sometimes it can be drastic. Now, uh, let me take the, the drastic example. If you're talking to, you know, you know <laughs> your daughter's name, Amelia, and as you're talking, and then on the street, and she sort of, sort of fell back from the, from the 
from the uh, into the street, and then you see a max a max truck, truck max truck, coming, sixty miles an hour. Guess what would you you would do? You would yank her into the thing. You would not say, "Honey, could you please kind of, you know, just you know a little bit." You know, this is this is. I just have to be gentle with you, but you know, and you cannot try to negotiate. Could you please just, you know, because there's a Mack truck coming. No, no, no. You would, even if it means you might dislocate her shoulder, but she want to save her life, right? Sometimes we have this democratic mindset that everything is negotiable. Not everything is not negotiable. Sometimes there's a drastic moment where we have to take drastic action to save people. And we exercise authority. We assert our authority as parents, as leaders, and speak the truth. That's what we do to one another. And our authority is in the Word of God. We hold people accountable to the Word of God. There's another another lesson I, I as I read this 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 passage, this story. Two voices speaking. Two voices here. The voice of the devil result, resulting in betrayal. On the one hand, on the other hand, the voice of God resulting in serving one another. You might say, I hear God. My question is, if you're hearing God and there's not, there's not evidence of you serving people or serving a greater cause, I doubt that you hear God. And the voice of God, uh, the voice of the devil resulting in betrayal, let me say this about betrayal. Betrayal is the ultimate end of self-interest. I'm going to say again. Betrayal is the ultimate end of self-interest. In other words, whatever is going to work for me at whatever cost, even if, if, if it means at the expense of other people or the people that love me and I love them too. That's what betrayal is. And I want to say this. Self-interest is never attractive. (laughs) The only thing about self that is good, the word self, is what? Selfless. And anything, after that, anything about self is just bad. Self-interest, self-ish, you know. Self-important. The only thing I know about myself is to be offered on the altar for the purpose of serving God. I like Paul's, uh, Paul's heart, you know. He said, you know, we quote this scripture often. And uh, 
to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was just the beginning of Paul's discussion. He said, I'm torn between these two choices. On the one hand, I'd love to be with Jesus because to be present from this body, uh, to be absent from this body means to be present with Jesus. And personally, he said, I'd rather, I'd rather being with Jesus. I want to be with him. Then he said, but when I see your progress for your sake, it is more profitable for you for me to remain in this body. And because of that, I'm going to hang around for a while. Isn't that amazing? It was as if, not as if, but Paul actually put people before he's even above his personal choice, personal preference. I think that is the spirit of leadership. And sometimes, you, you know, like as, as a pastor, I would say things, I would do things that people will never understand. I like what Calvin says. Sometimes you don't have to understand a lot of things. Like when I deal with a person, and then you know, it happens. Anybody wants to be a leader, you know what? You have to make decisions. That's the job of a leader. And sometimes your decisions, you're not happy about it. And you're not happy about it because it's a personal, there's a personal cost. Sometimes people misinterpret that. And if I deal with, with, say, with Carbon about something and I made a decision and the rest of you don't know anything and you will interpret what happened. And sometimes I, have, I don't have the freedom to tell you what actually happened. Because there's confidentiality, there's a lot of things going on there. I cannot do that. And guess what? And people sometimes, not just sometimes, many times, <laughs> a lot of times, people start pointing finger at me. But, so what do I do? Don't make decisions, just compromise? No, I can't do that. Because the moment I do that, guess what? I compromise, why? Self-interest, I try to protect myself, you see. I even, even in those sort of things, I have to do it at the cost of what people think about me. And I think that is the spirit of the disciples of Jesus. You're going to have to make some tough decisions about your personal life, about your relationship. Sometimes you have to redefine your relationship. And it's just because you forget about yourself so that you can serve people more effectively and serve God. I'm not really, I mean, people say, I'm, I, just, I just want to serve God. Not really, the, the manifestation of serving God is serving people, really. Serving his people. Like Paul said. I want to be with God, but with all my suffering and everything, put up with all the persecution and all that, I'm going to hang around for a while for your sake. Because that's what Christianity is about. It's for people. Like I said, Jesus didn't die for, for an ideology. He died for people. Let's all stand up. Let's just give our lives to Jesus. I'm not talking about just salvation. I'm talking about a commitment, a fresh commitment to serve Jesus, serve his people, serve your family. 
Any fathers here? Any husbands here? Somehow you want to take leadership in your family. You ask yourself a question. Have I served my children? Have I served my wife? Have we served our wives? Husbands. I'm going to say this also too. If any one of you, whether your wife or, you know, any wives here whose husbands are not saved, you can show leadership in leading him to God by serving him. Absolutely. By giving totally, totally, praying for him and serving better. Like Jesus. You talk about Lord and Rabbi would stoop down himself to the lowest of the lowest task in the community. He said, I can do this, you can do that. You can do it too. You want to see your, your, your children, your son, your, your daughters, your husbands, your wives saved. If they're not saved, start serving them even in a greater, greater, greater sense, greater level, in a deeper level. You want our, our church to be a stronger church? Let's serve one another. Come on, guys. Anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, it will be our privilege to introduce you to this man who died for you. If you don't know him, you can raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I'm going to close with a prayer. But after this, let's just pray for one another. Okay? I'm going to do the closing prayer. I'll pray for you, and then you pray for just bless each other, you know. Speak blessing over each other, and then we break up for a cup of coffee, cup of tea, something to eat. Let me just pray. Why don't you all raise your hands? Father, you gave yourself for us. You actually offer your life for us. Like your word says, so that those who live do not live for themselves but for him who died. So Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Now as we lift our hands, we pray for an outpouring of your blessing over your people, Lord. That as we leave this place, we are people marked by your blessing, by your favor. But your blessing will not just stop with us, but it will flow out of our lives and touch many lives around us, beginning with our family members, husband, wife, children, brothers and sisters, and then our neighbors and our friends at work, bosses, our employees, <coughs> friends at school, at unis, business partners, all those people, Father, will be touched by your blessing because we are people purchased by the blood of Jesus <coughs> this we pray in Jesus name thank you Lord bless you all just pray for one another